Bounty hunting is a complicated profession, which is why we're here to talk about The Mandalorian, currently airing on Disney+. Plus. I'm Dan Morin, and I am joined this week by my very special guest. As you know, I invite different guests on every week to talk about the most recent episode of The Mandalorian. And this week is a, a man steeped in the lore of Star Wars, steeped in the lore of Beta Ray Bill, steeped in the lore of Doctor Who and Babylon 5. He's basically just a lore-steeping machine. It's Chip Sutterth. Welcome to the show, Chip. But I only steep for like four minutes or four and a half minutes. Otherwise, the it, it gets too bitter. Yeah, I got to take you out. I got to take you out and put you on a little tray with a, where I keep my steeping chip there. Um, well, we are here to discuss this week's episode entitled Chapter 14, The Tragedy. That's not ominous. Uh, but before we jump into uh, what happens in this week's installment, Chip, I want to give you a couple minutes to talk about the show in general, what you like, what you're enthused about, maybe even what you don't like. I don't know floor is yours you know i haven't found a lot to dislike um a friend of mine rachel donner uh retweeted uh somebody's assessment that um that din Djarin, our mandal our titular mandalorian is you know his story is about him basically bypassing all of the high stakes stuff that's happening in the world because he's just focused focused on on the, the kid or his mm-hmm, job mm-hmm. you know not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> and uh, it's been really interesting, especially in this uh, second season, to see him just sort of getting somewhat pulled into the broader drama that's happening in the universe, right. uh, despite despite his uh, best desires or best interests. <laughs> you know, he's 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 basically. I think of him as a more competent, honestly, Han Solo. You know. Han Solo's charm in the original series was that he, and this is, had a lot to do with Harrison Ford's uh, charisma, of course, but uh, Han Solo is a hero and great things sort of happen despite the fact that his plans don't always work out or they rarely work out, you know. He's uh he's just sort of put upon, and I get a bit of that from Din Djarin, except that he is, uh he seems to be really competent right um yeah he's fallible but he's competent and just sort of just watching this sort of smaller scale hero in the star wars universe with all of this broader stuff sort of happening around him and then him slowly getting escalated into i am thoroughly enjoying mandalorian and the star wars franchise in a way that i really haven't in the last uh few years yeah i think it's interesting too you point us to harrison ford's charisma i think i would argue pedro pascal has a lot of charisma too we just don't get to see it because this character is not one where we get the virtue of experiencing the sort of their facial emotions obviously he does great job with body language and and vocals uh but it's also a character who is laconic by nature in a way that someone like Han Solo never was, right? Solo is he's garrulous. He's talkative, right? Like, he, he likes the sound of his own voice. You get the feeling that maybe Din Djarin doesn't particularly... He's just there to get from point A to point B, it really seems like. Yeah, uh, although he warms up a fair bit in this yeah. episode, too. Yeah. And that's loads of fun to see. Uh, the other thing that I really like about this series is that um, in the last year and in, in the last season and a half, um, we're getting revelations um, at a really good mm. pace, I think. Uh, the Mandalorian's name, the Mandalorian's face. Mm-hmm. Um, the child's name um the yeah everybody's seen the episode so no uh, spoiler horn uh (laughs) the razor crest got blown up and it just sort of this stuff just sort of happens at a reasonable pace without excessive drama or ridiculous build-up um so i like the balance that this show has struck between um the cadence of revelations, not dragging out uh, mysteries too long. Mm-hmm. And when they are revealed, they they seem to be given just the right amount of weight. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, like, there's easily they could have waited until the end of the show to show us the Mandalorian taking out his helmet, right? Or, or maybe from behind or never revealing his name or anything like that. And I feel like it's interesting to me. Uh, and I, maybe there's a duality here about this, but you know, you've mentioned him by calling him Din Djarin several times, which we know is his name from the end of season one, but nobody else knows that's his name, right? Nobody else ever calls him that except for, it was basically Moff Gideon, right? 
So everyone else still calls him Mandalorian. In my head, I still think of him as the Mandalorian or Mando. Uh, whereas by counterpoint, everybody called Baby Yoda, Baby Yoda. Uh, and now that we know his name is Grogu, I feel like, I don't know. I don't know if that's changed the discourse online or elsewhere. <laughs> like maybe people are, are holding out on the Baby Yoda thing, but. Yeah, uh, I've got it. I've got a disease here. Um, uh, it, and it's, I don't know if you'd call it Wikipedia syndrome or what, but. Uh, two data points here. Um, a, I'm a comic book geek from a long time ago, uh, where, um, like the official handbook of the Marvel universe and things like that, you know, the, the old school, uh, eighties Marvel, uh, sort of thing where everything sort of fit in. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really enjoy, uh, especially when i was younger i really enjoyed having everything just line up uh, right. star trek concordance reading you know all this other stuff so um when i get a data point like uh din Djarin's name or grogu's name or things like that it tends to just sort of fall into place for me and uh and, and i i absorb the continuity and move on um the other thing uh is i'm 50 years old and that means that um, I, you know, Star Wars hit theaters when I was seven. It means that I have been my my entire sentient life has basically I, I I've been aware of Star Wars all along, and I've either been a super fan or you know it's never been far from nostalgia. So, uh what's been happening in the last year and a half in Mandalorian um, as it becomes more and it becomes less and less a side story and uh, more and more elements of over the years get dropped in mm -hmm. uh, to it. Um, it's like a dopamine hit to my head uh, where all of the, the, the sort of familiarity and the nostalgia kicks in and, Oh yeah, uh, this is part of the big tapestry that I love so much. Right. Right. Well, this is a good episode for it, so let's jump into talking about Chapter 14. Uh, we open with the Mandalorian and Grogu on the way to Tython. Grogu playing with his, his new toy, the ball, uh, and the Mandalorian testing him with his name and chuckling every time Grogu responds to his name, which is delightful because it's like he's just discovered, you know, he's been with this kid for weeks, months, I don't know, we don't know exactly how long it's been, but a long time and he's discovered this new thing about him right that that not only not only enables him to connect with him in some way but also is just like a new piece of information about this this kid he's been toting around with him mm -hmm. which i i love yeah. and, and that and that enthusiasm that he has when uh grogu uh force force catches the ball and yeah. he's like thank ferrick and all that other stuff that's that warming up that we were talking about exactly exactly even more we talked a little bit last week's episode about how he's got this sort of proud father go thing going on and i think that's even even more reinforced in this opening scene um, but it's kind of bittersweet right because it's tinged with this like he's proud of him but he knows that he can't train him and he's like we're gonna take you and you know we're gonna find you a jedi who can take care of you but you gotta you gotta go with him so that you can learn more of that Jedi stuff, because I can't, which, I can't. Which the child is clearly uh, overwhelmed with joy over the prospect. Right, of. <laughs> amazing. Um, uh, I wanted to note also in the music in this episode, fantastic as usual. Uh, but the what I love little detail every time the same theme, the Mandalorian theme, plays over the title card of the episode every time. However, it's always a little different. I think Ludwig Göransson puts a little bit of spin on it every time in a way that reflects sort of the themes of the episode. And in this way, there's like a really dark, dramatic chord behind it when the tragedy shows up. And I think that's just, it's it sets the tone for the episode. I think it does a great job of that. Um, yeah. We are into lovely Southern California um, as they fly in. They see the temple from overhead, but they can't land there because it's too small. So they have to land and jetpack the rest of the way, which Grogu loves. Um, they end up on the Seeing Stone, which uh, has some moments of uh, uh, Mando sort of looking around for a control and asking Grogu, does this look Jedi to you? <laughs> um, there's a little butterfly that shows up there and he's trying to get him to like, hey, connect with, do your force thing. Ahsoka said, I just have to put you here and, and that's it. We're done. But nothing much seems to happen. Uh, and we only have a few minutes of them being uh, like sort of on the planet before a ship appears 
flying over the horizon. A very familiar ship for the, to those of us who are longtime Star Wars fans, as it is Slave One, which is Boba yep. Fett's ship. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm watching this episode with my son, who is really into it, and I'm really grumpy at him because sometimes he chooses to watch it with his girlfriend mm. rather than with his dad. Um, and that's kids you know, loyalty. I mean, yeah. Um, but um, you know, I I I certainly set up more bolt upright. Um, uh, he's in the middle of a of a movies uh, rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, but um. But yeah, the I had wondered if Tamura Morrison, uh, his uh, cameo from the beginning of the season, um, if it was going to turn up Boba Fett or be a sidestep. Um, and that speculation just sort of died yeah. uh, right then and there. Yeah, I mean, we know what's we know what's coming, even if uh, the Mandalorian right, doesn't. exactly. And I, I thought it was interesting too because. Though, you know, we've had the clues, right? We saw Tamura Morrison at the end of episode one. We saw Boba Fett's armor with Cobb Vanth in episode one of the season. And so, you know, the idea that he survived, uh, you know, totally kind of put out there. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff in in, when you get into the canon and stuff and discussing like how uh, the survival of Boba Fett and stuff. Because in the old... Oh, in the old canon, in the expanding universe, he does survive. He crawls out of the Sarlacc, um, but obviously, all that a lot of that stuff sort of got written off, uh, and it was unclear what his fate was. So I always think it interesting that Slave One's fate is is rarely talked about. But I guess like kind of like Rise of Skywalker style, you park your ship in the desert for a few years. Strangely enough, the Jawas didn't scrap it. I don't know. That seems <laughs> seems random. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who? Maybe he parked it somewhere with uh, with uh, armed security or something oh, yeah, like smart, that. Smart. Uh, Grogu touches the stone, which I noticed is in the, my rewatch. As he sort of leans over and touches it, as the Mando goes over to look at the ship, and he says, "You know, time's up, kid. We got to get out of here." Turns around and finds Grogu is communing. He's got this giant blue force field turning into a column shooting up in the sky. The rock is glowing. Uh, Mando tries to grab him off the rock and is basically knocked back uh, and then sort of starts checking out the ship, uh, sees somebody exiting the ship on heat vision and tells Grogu he's going to go try to buy him some time. (sighs) Makes his way down the rocks and uh, doesn't get too far before somebody starts shooting at him. And we have, of course, the introduction of none other than Boba Fett, played by Tamura Morrison, who has been tracking him uh, and he's here for the armor and of course comedy of errors a little confusion oh you can't have my armor you'll have to take it off me after you kill me i was like no i don't i don't want your armor man i want my armor the one that you took back from Cobb vanth on tatooine um and i think this is an interesting and fun sort of interchange here because again the mandalorian we've seen his deal kind of especially this season his immediate question is well are you a mandalorian <laughs> did you right. take the creed like what's your deal um and uh boba fett is a little bit more like yeah i give my allegiance to no one i'm just a simple man making his way through the galaxy and it's his father's armor which i think we had established in previous canon materials that that is the case that he just takes Django's armor after Django dies and kind of does a repaint job on it yeah yeah um and it's and i don't know i don't know when you want to talk about it but you know this is a character Boba Fett's an, an, an enigma, um, and not in not in the classic, um, you know, the the man of, the man of mystery who uh, like a, a Clint Eastwood character. Even though I think Clint Eastwood, uh, the man with no name, was sort of a model for the creation of this character. Mm-hmm. But Boba Fett doesn't have all that much screen time yep. in the original trilogy, and he goes out like a sucker yeah. in Return of the Jedi. He is never in either of those movies particularly competent. There's, um, I, I think, I think a lot of the affection for Boba Fett stems from old, sad people like me who ordered the action figure with our Kenner um, premium points. You know, cutting off the little discs off the back of uh, other action figure cards. Um, you know the the fact that the costume looks fairly cool mm-hmm. and uh was he the character was pre uh announced in the, uh, the holiday, holiday special, special. Yeah. yep um you know but 
in the canon itself, there's there's not that much to him other right. than a cool looking suit in Empire, um, really fast dispatching um, um, in the in the first few minutes of Return of the Jedi. Yeah. And then the character shows up as uh as a kid yep. in Attack of the Clones. Yep. Basically just to see his dad get killed. That's pretty just much to see his dad it. get killed. And he's pretty he's pretty callow. All you all you get of his personality is that he's laughing when Django is uh trying to shoot down uh, Obi Wan. Yeah. Um and then in the Star Wars the Clone Wars animated series, which is still which is still canon, you get young Boba Fett, uh, still played by Daniel Logan, um, trying to, as, as like this tween bounty hunter, yeah. wannabe, and he's not that good there either. Yeah, I just rewatched an episode, because my wife is making her way through Clone Wars, and we just rewatched a Boba Fett episode um, with uh, Asajj Ventress, and yeah, she gets the better of him in that episode. <laughs> he does yeah. not come out looking pretty pretty good, but he's also, you know, like a like a 15 year old kid maybe <laughs> right so the boba fett that we get here is not terribly vindictive he's very reasonable yeah um he we we don't really know what's motivating him at this point in the story um he he's he's as much of a mystery to me at this point than he would be for anybody who doesn't know Star Wars chapter and yeah. verse. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting too. You're, you're totally right. Like we don't get a lot about him. I would argue that he is actually fairly competent in empire. He finds the Falcon. He tracks it to cloud city. He gets away with Han in carbon freeze. Um, it's really his sort of quick dispatching in kind of a, you know, comedic moment in return of the Jedi that undercuts a lot of that. But you know, sometimes the force is just against you. Um, I think it is interesting to see him here. Uh, you know, he's obviously been through a lot more. We are estimating this as maybe five years, I think, is the general consensus after Return of the Jedi. And so I had I had that little bit of disconnect, too, right? Because on the one hand, it's like, oh, we haven't seen this character for 20 years. And I realized, no, no, it's only been five years after the, after the fall of the Empire. So he's been out there on Tatooine for a few years, evidently has been having trouble locating his armor, which I thought was interesting. Because um, it seemed like he should have been, rather than following Mando all the way to another planet to reclaim it, seems like he should have had an easier time getting it back uh, while it was still on Tatooine. But eh, there you go. Um, but he does seem to be, we, we what we do get from him in this episode is an overriding sense of being a man of honor. Um, so essentially what happens here is you, after their sort of interchange with Mandalorian, he tells him, well, I've got a sharpshooter uh, locked on. And turns out he doesn't mean on on the Mandalorian, but on the kid. And it's revealed to be Fennec Shand, Ming-Na Wen, who we last saw last season dead, we thought, uh, but with a mysterious figure approaching them. Uh, and it turns out that was Boba Fett. He patched her up by giving her a, a like kind of like Luke's like hand me- mechanism in her stomach, <laughs> which, yeah, okay, that makes perfect sense. I got no problem with it. Um, and she's now basically reporting to him and uh, agreed to help him go find his armor. And uh, Boba says, basically, look, uh, you give me my armor back, uh, and I, in exchange, I'll help you protect the child. And so that that's the moment where we get this really idea that he he has honor, right? Like, that's his, he's got some sort of honor code, right? He's saying, I'm going to make a deal with you, and the deal is you you give me back what's mine, and I'll help you protect the child, which really is way more generous it feels like than it has to be and i'm i'm kind of with you i feel like we don't we don't know enough about boba fett as a character uh to to sort of know if that's in keeping with him but he could have just said like the armor's mine i'll give it back or i'll try to kill you essentially or kill your kill the kid and that's it right like i don't need to stay and help you yeah, I can't speak to his characterization in the expanded universe. I haven't seen that much of it outside of the old Marvel comics, which were just plain weird. But, um, but, but yeah, he's definitely not the sort of vindictive. Uh, he's ne- definitely not the vindictive fifteen-year-old anymore. That's yeah. for sure. I, I in the EU stuff, I feel like when you did come across him, it was mostly in kind of a very you know, like he was above it all and it wasn't even vindictiveness really. It was just like, I'm, I'm, I don't want to, I don't care. 
like that's your problem i'm in it for the money that's it like that is basically my entire code and i i just don't want to get involved and kind of a a han solo-ish uh you know (laughs) uh ethos again but yeah i i think it's also possible five years in the tatooine desert has changed a man certainly known to happen he's definitely he's definitely got that obi-wan aging thing going on though because again he's probably what like 40 (laughs) and he granted he seems to have spent some time inside a sarlacc so that'll age you but yeah (laughs) yeah we still don't know how he got out of there at least as far as canon's concerned i also like uh back to your point about the about the debt and the person of honor you know all three of the bounty hunters here um Mm. seem to be operating in that way uh, especially this episode you know debts and quests and things like that um it's really honor driven here yeah and this leads to an interesting moment where they make a deal you know in order to sort of get to the point of talking about it they say like you know uh, we'll put down the gun if you put down the jetpack. It doesn't say put down your gun. He says put down your jetpack, which I thought was interesting. I mean, I guess it gives you a strategic like advantage. So that's kind of the reason. But it also feels a little bit like we want to deprive you of your your plot device that lets you go places really quick. <laughs> to me, that read right. a little transparent at that moment. Like, all right, that's a weird choice. Uh, yeah. And almost immediately, we have another ship coming in, uh, which appears to be some sort of transport. Uh, and... I, like everybody else, I'm sure yelled at the screen, pick up the damn jetpack. <laughs> but no, he doesn't bother. No, uh, maybe it maybe it would have taken him too long to get it strapped on yeah, again. I and guess. He was, I know, we can, yeah. uh, we'll hand um, wave it. Um, so I think that was an Imperial clown car. Yes. I, I think it's actually the same one. I believe it's the same transport we see at the beginning of Force Awakens with all the stormtroopers on it when they land on the planet with Oscar Isaac. Mm. Um, it looks very similar because it has that ramp at the front, right, that goes down, and then they all just sort of pile out like a, yeah, like a bunch of clowns. Uh, and they're stormtroopers, so that's appropriate. Yeah, and they go out like it, too. Uh, right. we're, we're, continu- we're continuing with the, uh, it's, not the, it's not the Empire's best and brightest anymore. Yes, exactly. This is the budget stormtroopers. Um, so the Mando runs back to the hill, but Grogu's still uh, in that force field. He tries to force his way through again, and this time he's knocked out cold. Uh, meanwhile, Fennec and Over Boba, two. Yeah, he's not doing well on this. He's making a lot of bad decisions in this episode, I feel like, putting down the jetpack. He keeps trying to do the same thing, and it keeps not working. <laughs> um, meanwhile, at least Fennec and uh, Boba Fett are a little more competent. They check out the ship, and they start picking off stormtroopers. The stormtroopers, again, like I said, not really well organized. One of them yells at one point to, like, you know, flank them. And the guy's like, I'm getting shot a lot. And he's like, no, you're an idiot. Go and flank them. And that guy runs around a quarter and immediately gets shot in the head um shand makes the comment earlier on in the episode that she doesn't you know you remember i don't really miss and that's pretty much true i think almost every single shot she like fires in this episode hits a stormtrooper yeah one of the things that i've noticed and liked about this show although it's a it's a little weird is that it there is no fear of giving the guest characters their hero moments and their mm-hmm. share of the limelight. Um, Ahsoka, Cara Dune, um, and in this one, Boba Fett and Fennec Shand, you know, um, this sequence is just about, it, it is pretty much all them. Yeah. Yeah. And they are badass. Yeah, I enjoy it. They're super competent. Again, I think this is very similar to a couple episodes back in the episode on Navarro, uh, where Mando disappears flying back to town. And we get basically Grief Karga and Cara Dune for like a solid in the like uh, the hovercraft thing for like a solid five to ten minutes. Um, very extended action sequence with guest stars, which I think I, I think that's a great point. They really really wants to show how competent all these other people are. And I think there's a reason for that. But we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, Boba Fett, meanwhile, has decided to go handheld with his gaffy stick, uh, which is a, there's a great shot where it like pans down. Uh, to the end of it which has that sort of i always thought it looked like an acorn on the end <laughs> um and he just starts like running amok through stormtrooper smashing the armor left and right we even get one shot with his stormtrooper helmet is all mangled um mm-hmm. from him smashing it we get shards of plastic flying off it's very reminiscent of the armorers fight with them at the end of last season um which is it's very it's very visceral and effective i feel like 
Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, this is the most, I th- I think this is by far the most competent that Boba Fett has ever looked <laughs> in, uh, in, uh, the canon, in the canon material. Yeah. Um, he's, he, he, he's, he's dressed weird. Uh, you, I, I really didn't fully accept that I was seeing Boba the Fett, his mm-hmm. backpacks got jets. Um, I really wasn't ready to acknowledge that this character was Boba Fett until a little bit later when we'll yeah. get to it. Um uh, but but yeah, the that the just brutal efficiency. Yeah. Exactly. Um and uh and Finnick Shand uh with you know jumping backward off of rocks mm-hmm. and um spearing people with her sniper rifle on the way down, you know, things like that. Um um Robert Rodriguez R- Rodriguez is just doing his thing. Yeah. Action. Action is his thing. And he, he nails it. And Ming-Na Wen is a fantastic physical performer. If anybody, uh, anyone who's watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, probably knows that. She is incredibly good on that show. And she really uh, just has fantastic action chops. Um, so there there's some scenes where the stormtroopers have mortars. There's like a yellow armored trooper at one point firing off mortars. Uh, they set up an E-Web blaster. And that basically a mortar loosens a boulder that Fennec is hiding behind. And then she shoves it with her feet and it, it rolls like Indiana Jones style down and like takes out a whole bunch of stormtroopers, none of whom are smart enough to run, you know, sideways. Nope. Let's just run away from the boulder as though we can outrun it. And it crushes the blaster and the guy holding it at the end there. Is that before or after the second clown car arrives? I think it's before. I think we're getting to the second ship coming out. The second ship comes in in a moment because Fett takes out a bunch more with the gaffy stick, and then he sees the open ramp of the Razor Crest. Yeah. Uh, another bad decision by Mando. Close your ship door behind you when you leave a place. <laughs> um, and that's when we also have that Fennec uh, jumping backwards and shooting the troopers and then just like taking them out at point-blank range one at a time. Just like massive numbers of stormtroopers. Where are all these guys from? It's a great point. Uh, the second ship comes in at this point. Uh, Fennec also has a great move where she throws her helmet at a guy and then shoots him a bunch. Um, the Mando finally starts coming around. Grogu's still on the rock. He sees more troopers getting out of the ship, and then he tries to push his way through the force field again. Guess what? Over three doesn't work, <laughs> and says, "All right, I'm gonna go protect you. I'll, I'll go." As, of course, the second he leaves, the it ends, and the you know, uh, Grogu is free again. Um, the troopers to surround Fennec and Boba, and they're like, we just want the child. A bit of a change from their opening move, which was shoot everybody, and now they're okay with negotiating. Um, but, of course, the Mando chooses that moment to show up and prep, gets his whistling birds off. Uh, and, uh, you know, they he and Fennec Shan sort of team up as he takes bl- uh, blaster shots for her. This isn't looking good. I've seen worse. <laughs> Um, he tries to like Fennec off the hook, but she says they have a deal. Once again, the honor sort of coming through here. I guess there are honors among thieves. Uh, and then when it looks like everything is lost, all of a sudden these bombs start following, falling from the sky, followed by none other than Boba Fett himself in the armor. Um, I, it's a fascinating opening. I, I think it looks interesting with him. Uh, it, it, the observation I made when we watched episode one with Cobb Vanth is that it never looked like the armor quite fit him. Um, it always looked a little bit like he was a kid wearing his dad's armor. Uh, it seems to fit uh, Boba Fett, obviously, much better. Uh, although the having the sort of long skirts on at the same time is a is an interesting look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and then then we've got Boba Fett using all of the tools that mm-hmm. he used uh, and then some uh, in Return of the Jedi, but to much greater effect. Um, and and I think that that is kind of almost a payoff for a fan like me, you know, for the first time since 1979, uh, or or if you if you want to give him credit for his detective skills in Empire Strikes Back, you know, this is Boba Fett acting like the Boba Fett that was in my mind as I was smashing together action figures as a kid. <laughs> yeah, he's got like a blaster on one of his arms. Uh, you know, he's got uh, his pistol which I guess was with the armor. I was unclear about that. Um, and But I, my favorite reveal is the knee missiles. I love that, where he just puts his yeah. knee up and shoots a bunch of people with missile and knees. Sure, of course you got missiles on your knee. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's fantastic. Um, I still don't think, you know, even with the, even even admitting that the, the, the sort of the long robes thing weren't intended to match with the um, armor, you know, it's just needs must when you're, uh, when you're putting the stuff on. Um, 
I'll be interested to see what, assuming that the character comes back later in the season, you know, after he's had a chance to go to a proper tailor, um, what he looks like in that armor. Uh, the Beskar armor for the Mandalorian and for uh, Boba Fett, you know, they actually don't cover that much. Yeah, it's not like right. they're encased in Stormtrooper armor. So I headcanon that there's stuff, there, there are fibers running through the fabric-y looking parts or whatever. Um, uh, but uh, it's been interesting seeing the uh, how much new weight is being put on the power and protectiveness of the of the Beskar mm-hmm. um, when these these suits they don't feel like armor to me. They feel more like just sort of weapons gear, weapons packs that are sort of slapped on. So yeah, I'll be interested to see uh, what Boba Fett looks like uh, next time we meet. Yeah. Um, so Fett targets the, 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 basically everybody runs as soon as they see Boba Fett, right? Like that, the stormtroopers are like, nope, we didn't sign up for this. Uh, they take get run back to their ships. They take off. Fett targets one ship with his rocket pack and shoots it down, but it hits the other ship on the way down and they both get explode. Uh, to which Mandalorian comments, nice shot. And Fett says, I was aiming for the other one, which he was. <laughs> Yeah, and that was that was actually kind of wild. Uh, 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 almost a sense of humor from Boba Fett, <laughs> and a little bit of fallibility from him as well. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm. I, 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 he feels like a. He feels in some ways like a new character to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, again, there's not that much to base him on, especially if you're coming in only having seen, say, the original trilogy, or even having seen the prequels where he's just a kid, right? Like. I feel like there is a lot of room there for Boba Fett because he's a character who has never, we've never spent that much time with. He kind of pops in and out and we've never spent like a concentrated long period of time with him enough to know his deal really. So there's a lot of room there. I do like the way that in one shot he flips the, he flips his uh, pistol and holsters it just like dad did. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, yeah, live up to your to your parents, I guess. Um, yeah, and you know, and when when you're the same actor who played dad, you know, <laughs> yeah, you got the move down. Um, everything seems quiet for a second, and then there is a sound of blaster fire from overhead, and the Razor Crest is vaporized in a moment that was truly shocking and both and incredibly sad. I felt like at the same time, like I was bummed to see it. I shouted, just, "Oh yeah, I was upset as hell." <laughs> Um, and then the very next day, the Lego advent calendar <laughs> I saw includes that. a tiny little razor crest. Did they time it that way? I want to believe yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our, yeah, our friend Stephen Shapansky tweets about it saying, too soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, Fennec recommends Boba Fett get his ship before it gets blown up, so he jets off to Slave One. Amanda looks up and sees the, the light cruiser hanging out in the atmosphere and realizes he needs to go back for the kid now. Um, meanwhile, up on the cruiser, uh, Moff Gideon orders the Dark Troopers launched. So we get a name for those mysterious figures we saw a couple episodes ago at the end there. Uh, the man and... stops and looks too, which is yet another bad move. He's like, oh, I wonder what's happening up there. It's like, no, no, dude, keep running. <laughs> and these are the Dark Troopers, you know, talk about, uh, talk about diving into Deep the cuts. old canon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dark Troopers dark from, uh, Star Wars Dark Forces. Yeah. Yeah, they uh, were now scary. out of Cannon's first-person shooter from God knows how long ago. 1990s. I definitely had it on CD-ROM on my Mac in the 90s, and it was it was the first Star Wars FPS. And the Dark Troopers were legit scary. Like they were they were bad. Like the big robot stormtroopers, essentially in dark armor, and like they were they were hard to hard to beat. Um, so they like they they look like robots from what we can see here. They have rocket boots, which is cool. Um, they jet down and land at the standing stones and advance on Grogu, who's sleeping on the rock. He wakes up kind of slowly, um, but unfortunately, Mando and Fennec show up a second too late as they grab the child and fly him back up towards the cruiser. Boba's already in Slave One, but Fennec calls him off after the Mando says he doesn't want the kid to get hurt. But Fett tracks them and uh, gets through the clouds to see the light cruiser. And this was an interesting exchange. I'm curious to know what you made of it because Boba Fett says they're back, and they're like, "Who?" And he's like, "The Empire." And they're like, "Well, that can't be the uh, the Outer Rim is the New Republic jurisdiction." He's like, "I'm looking at Imperial cruiser." Um, and I mean, Mando in earlier in this episode already saw the cruiser, and he's certainly seen Moff Gideon and the weight of the Empire and Navarro. And so I, I guess it's sort of. 
my question of how widespread the Imperial presence remains five years after Return of the Jedi, because we've, we haven't seen a shortage of stormtroopers exactly. There have been a decent amount, but maybe they're just kind of thinly spread, I guess. I would think so. And also, you know, they're, it's, it's been planetary based. Mm, um, mm-hmm. They, the, the, uh, the description is the Imperial remnants. Right. Um, so, you know, outposts here and there of the outer rim um, and, sort of in canon over time um the empire and the new republic will uh come to some sort of agreement that's uh, that turns into a, a detente that lasts up to the force awakens right but um but but yeah we haven't seen a whole lot of evidence that there is a an honest to god imperial fleet yeah exactly we've seen little bits here and there and i mean certainly if Boba Fett's been on Tatooine the last five years, which we are given to understand that he probably has been, then it's possible that the, you know, any Imperial presence there is long gone. And thus, maybe he really felt like, well, the Empire fell, that's it. And like, I haven't been bothered by them since, so they must be gone. Um, but I think it is interesting, too, because I, well, was it, I can't remember if this was mentioned explicitly in the last episode, uh, but I thought that the conversation ahsoka had when she told him about tython suggested that tython was towards the, like the core the galactic core which also made me wonder like are there more imperials in in the galactic core how far does their influence reach i don't know these are these are things we're not really sure about we don't really know the full state of galactic affairs because we're so zoomed in on the mandalorian yeah um i like that you know if you if you're if you're not a if you're an attentive fan, not a not a casual fan, you don't have to be a um, you don't have to be a Star Wars nerd like me. But if you're if you sort of pay attention um, in uh, the Force Awakens, um, you, you you get the sense that um, you know the Battle of Jakku happened after Endor. You know that there were that there you didn't just flip a switch at the end right. of return of the Jedi and everything was great. And the Alliance was restored and all of the other stuff, um, other Canon materials and things like that, you know, the made the argument that, uh, it took time. Um, this show is all about that awkward middle period when Imperial credits are still around, but they're worthless in a lot of places. um, there are imperial remnants here and there, um, and uh, a, stor- a stormtrooper stormtrooper armor doesn't mean exactly what it used to. But this is the first time when maybe it means exactly what it used to. Right. And and I'm sitting here going, you know, over the last couple of episodes, what is Moff Gideon's game plan? Does Grand Admiral Thrawn uh, factor into this? Is this act? Is this show actually about the rise of the first order? Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. It certainly seems possible based on what we've seen. I mean, especially with a couple episodes ago where um, uh, our new Republic fighter pilot was telling Cara Dune that something's going on out in the outer rim, and we have reason to believe maybe that could be the formation of the first order. That's one possibility. Um. So the cruiser jumps to light speed. Uh, Mandalorian is in the crater of the Razor Crest. It's basically all gone, except for only two things survived: the ball and the best car spear. Does is the ball also made of best car? That's how I want to begin. <laughs> the ball is made of plot immunity. Mm, plot armor. That's important. Important stuff. Um, Boba Fett demonstrates his chain code has been in the armor for 25 years, and uh, there was his father, Jango Fett, before him. We learned that Jango was basically a foundling, like the Mandalorian, uh, and that he fought in the Mandalorian Civil Wars, which I believe is new information. We do know about the Mandalorian Civil Wars. They have been mentioned in previous canon material, but uh, Jango's involvement of them was not known prior to this. Um they essentially have this moment again where we delve back into the honor among bounty hunters where Boba Fett's like, well, I got my armor back, but the deal was I would keep the child safe. So until he's returned safely, we're in your debt, which again, seems extremely generous. (laughs) If he was a very mercenary sort of character, he could have easily just walked away at this point or said like, you know, what's in it for me? How much money are you going to pay me to do this job or help out or what have you? But nope, he's just, he's just like, we're, we're in. (laughs) Which leads to a shot of our hero, Din Djarin, 
flying back to check in with Cara Dune on a ship named Slave One. <laughs> um, and 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 I, this is fascinating to me, and I kind of like the the different the, the, the different uh, shadings to uh, Boba Fett's character here. Uh, but it is kind of weird because uh, for all of these years, I have been seeing Boba Fett as a bad guy. Right. And he's definitely not being treated as a bad guy, as I remembered him from my eight-year-old self, um, you know. Um, so it, there's a little cognitive dissonance going on um, at this point. Right, right. For me, anyway. Yeah, sure. I mean, and, and no surprise that we would think of him as a bad guy, where he is, like, essentially put up as an adver- adversary against our heroes in the original trilogy, and to some extent his father is as well in the prequel trilogy. So it is a little bit of a interesting perspective change but we don't know again what happened to him in that intervening time exactly a lot can change and uh it is a new galaxy uh so as you said mando goes back to navarro he meets up with cara dune who is now officially a marshal of the new republic which confirms that that thing that the x-wing pilot handed her a few weeks back was indeed a badge um she's gone legit uh but she's still willing to do favors for the mandalorian and he asks her to look up Mayfeld, our, our ex-Imperial sharpshooter back from season one, who we learned his first name is Miggs, Miggs Mayfeld. Sounds like a gangster. Uh, it sounds like a, Mar- sounds like a Marvel Comics alliterative gangster. <laughs> ah, Miggs Mayfeld, see? Um, yeah. The Mandalorian basically wants to spring him to locate Moff Gideon's ship. We don't entirely know why other than he's ex-imperial and so think that might have something to do with it but we do know that he is in there basically for taking the fall he's been um sent to some i missed this sent to some field where he's been working hard labor since uh ripping off the prison transport last season um the uh cara dune says look these stripes mean there are rules i need to follow but then the mandalorian retorts they have the kid and it seems like maybe cara dune is going to be willing to put aside some of her new um newfound morality in order to help out grogu speaking of whom moff gideon aboard his cruiser goes to see grogu grogu is tossing stormtroopers around as though they are paper bags using the force and even starting to choke them with his little slit eyes at a couple point looking very kind of evil um gideon just kind of lets him do it too which i thought was funny like he he's just letting him throw these guys around and even knock them out it seems like uh could have killed him i guess but you know you don't get that high in the imperial hierarchy without being willing to break a few stormtrooper eggs um but he also knows that this makes the the baby so sleepy um he shows him the dark saber at one point but tells him he's not ready to pay, play with these things because he's liable to put an eye out and then he lets his trooper stun him to put him down for a nap. Because that's how, I assume, all parents want to put their babies down for a nap. Just with, like, a stun gun, basically. There would have been some days. <laughs> uh, once they drop out of hyperspace, they, he tells them to send a message to Dr. Pershing, who we saw in hologram form a few weeks ago, and tell him they have their donor. He's going to continue whatever creepy experiments he was doing on Navarro. And he has them shackle... Grogu in adorable mini baby baby shackles, which they just happen to have on hand, I guess. And that is where our episode concludes. The tragedy. The tragedy. Yeah, I I mean, I had the feeling we were getting close to the end of the season, and it sure seemed like once they told you a tragedy was going to happen, it would have something to do with Grogu being uh, falling into the hands of the Empire, I guess, would be the most likely. That said, I did not expect a lot of what happened in this episode. (laughs) Yeah, you know, um, the episode title, of course, being a Star Wars nerd, um, I immediately thought about the tragedy of Darth Plagueis, Plagueis, the wise, Plagueis, you know, um, you know, and so we know that the, the child's M count, midichlorians, one would assume, uh, is important and that they're in the process of growing something with clones. Um, so... So maybe the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise actually has some relevance here to the creation of new life, um, and that uh, possibly opens up questions about the Emperor or mm. Snoke, um, you know, stuff like that. You know, um, you know, I'm 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 interested in where this is going, but here is the one misgiving that I have about the Mandalorian, and it is entirely personal. <laughs> um, I 
didn't enjoy where the sequel trilogy wound up. Mm-hmm. I was a big Ryan Johnson, The Last Jedi fan, and um, Rise of Skywalker just fell flat for me, and it kind of soured me on the entire on the entire sequel uh, trilogy. To be perfectly honest, probably unfairly, um, but I don't have the emotional connection that I thought I was going to be building with those sequel characters uh, because I didn't feel like it stuck the landing. So at one point, I felt like Mandalorian was the sequel to the um, original trilogy that I really wanted. But it does feel like that the Mandalorian is moving towards the sequel. It it feels like it could be building, um, building in some connective tissue between the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy and sort of creating some, you know, well, like I said, connective tissue. And I'm, I'm sort of resisting that a little bit. I love this series. Um, and I love that it is connecting me with older characters like Ahsoka and revisiting, uh, Boba Fett and things like that in ways that still work for casual fans who don't know all of these characters and things like that. None of this stuff has felt like fandom gatekeeper stuff. And like I said at the top, you know, you give me continuity stuff, and those are dopamine hits, but continuity for the new... Tr- f- continuity to the sequel trilogy isn't nostalgia for me. Yeah. And so... I'll yeah, be. I get you. I get you. Yeah, I'll be interested to see where where season two winds up. I think I'm still going to enjoy it all the way, but that's the one little bit of mental reservation that I have about where this is going. Yeah. I I can see that. I think for me, the what what heartens me a little bit about that is so I kind of view the main trill like the original trilogy is kind of like. Uh, you can't think of it like a volcano and it's got like the slopes on either side and we sloped mm-hmm. up into the into the original trilogy with stuff like clone wars and rebels and which is great because you were getting closer to like the original trilogy stuff and then we're sloping sort of down with some stuff like the mandalorian and i agree with your sentiments about the sequel trilogy and i even with the fact that the the rise of skywalker falling a little bit flat did damage some of the overall arc in that and made me as fond as I am of some of those characters made me less excited about the stories they were the plots they were telling with those characters that said I feel like things like Clone Wars which have showed me that even if I don't care for the prequels I can have a lot of affinity and and love for Star Wars set in that time period makes me feel like I can sort of compartmentalize the parts I like from the parts I don't like. And that's fine. Sure. You know, everybody sure, can. Yeah. And I think that's one good thing about this is, and it's unclear how close they're going to get to the sequel trilogy stuff, right? Because this is, if this is indeed set only five years after Return of the Jedi, it's still like another 15 years before the events of Force Awakens. So there is still a lot of time in there to play with and a lot of stories that can happen within that space without having to directly tie in to everything that's going on there and moreover without directly having to tie into all the stuff with specifically with the jedi and the force that's going on there as well because i think that's one thing that i loved about the first season was the idea of there's all these stories happening out on the outer rim they don't even involve jedi like there's not even like that's nobody out there has ever seen a jedi it's fine um this season we're definitely tying into that much more having already seen ahsoka and having some indefinite question out there right like who did grogu contact if anybody when he was on the seeing stone raises some questions about what other jedi are out there right now will the jedi show up to save the day at the end uh or will the jedi perhaps uh, you know the ones that are out there are not willing to come forward at this point it's unclear but i think that there's still a lot of interesting smaller stories to be told on the canvas that we've seen so far Absolutely. And as long as the uh, focus doesn't uh, shift too greatly from the Mandalorian himself, you know, that the, what I would hate would be that with, for this series to turn into uh, the Mandalorian plus four, or the name, right. you know, the, the, that, the, that the story become about more and more than the mandalorian and and less about the mandalorian himself because yeah i think this is this is the sweet spot this is the this is the um story that we kind of wanted all along there are 
there are Jedi Star Wars fans and there are uh, scoundrels, rogues, ro- yeah. rogues and yeah. scoundrel Star Wars yeah. fans. And this is this is for this is for people who don't need to see a glowing lightsaber every single time. Right. Uh, oh, and 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 I, I didn't have the chance to mention it, but I just love Giancarlo Esposito and um, the just the just the just the the the, the sadistic uh, glee yes. that he has. Um, he's a good he, villain. He, yeah, he's a really good villain. Uh, completely different from his Breaking Bad character. Um, he, he's he's he, he's an Imperial who just likes being bad. Yep. Yes, I agree. I I think what excites me about the rest of this season is that I love the the very clear fact that the Mandalorian has built a team. Right, like there is. And he's going to need it because if he's going to go up against um, Imperial Moff with a light cruiser and a bunch of stormtroopers and dark troopers at his beck and call, he can't do it alone. And so we've got Boba Fett, we've got Fennec Shand, we've got Cara Dune, we've got Grief Karga. We maybe have, who knows, Bo-Katan, Ahsoka. Like, there are a lot of players that we have out there right now. And I'm curious to see how that, and he's going after Mayfeld too. So, you know, there's... There's a lot, I think, that happens next week, probably, as we see him assembling that team, and then I feel like the finale is probably spending some time very uh, uh, Magnificent Seven style <laughs> going after Moff Gideon with all his teammates. So I think there's a lot of potential for that. That seems like a lot of fun. Yeah, and there's a lot of potential for character growth in this show, too. Um, I'm just sort of predicting that it won't be too long before we see a reason for Din Djarin to decide that maybe he doesn't need to wear the helmet all the time. Mm-hmm, I think, mm-hmm. you know, that would be a nice, that would be a nice perk for Pedro Pascal. Um, um, and, you know, is he going to be a dad? Is yeah. the, is Grogu going to be part of the story going forward or is there going to be a new arc for the Mandalorian? There, there really is any place that this, any, this story could go anywhere they want yeah. to. Yeah. And I, I love that. And I think what's great is I think the, the helmet thing is a great call because I think, as I mentioned a week or two ago, like so much of the story is about both of them trying to find where they belong, both the Mandalorian who is now on his own and is now coming into all these like exposure to all these ideas that challenge what he thinks of it means to be a Mandalorian and Grogu deciding whether he wants to be a Jedi or not, right? Like, or how is that training? How is his future going to work now? And I think that's that's why they work so well together is they are both, if not unique individuals, like they are both rarefied individuals that are struggling to figure out who they are and where their place is. And that gives them a lot of, uh, uh, makes them simpatico, right? Like gives them a lot of commonalities and it's why they bond, I think, largely. So, and, and I, I, people, a lot of people criticize thing, you know, going back to prequel ideas of just like, I'm not speaking strictly of the Star Wars prequels here, but like stories that take place before other stories we know because they're like, oh, we already know what happens. Like we know these people live and these people don't live. And it's like, I think there are still way more interesting stories to be told that aren't always about life and death as the ultimate stakes of a of a story, right? There can be smaller stakes in there and change and growth and all of that that, that makes for compelling watching. That's just my two cents. Uh, all right. Well, we have wrapped up talking about this episode. And so I think all that remains is for me to thank my fantastic guest, Chip Sutter. Thank you so much for being here. This is a great conversation. Dan, I enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. And thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in and listening to this week's episode. We will be back uh, next week with another guest to talk about chapter 15, whatever it may bring. But until then, this is the way. <laughs>